This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Snodgrass, the writer of The Measure of a Man for Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy is away this week, but join with me today is the outstanding Richard Marquez. Richard, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Uh, I've got my army hat on and we're all, and I'm really, really pumped for today. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Glad to hear that. So, so listeners, we usually read your Babel conference feedback. We'll actually come back to that next week. Um, also, this episode drops on Christmas Day, so if you're listening on that day, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and as a special present for our listeners, we have a very special guest. It's Ken Tripp from Standard Orbit. Ken, welcome to Earl Grey. Hey, Justin. Richard, thanks for having me aboard today. I'm looking forward to this show, and uh, I don't know if it's a present or coal, but uh, I am honored to be here, so thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. And Ken, I know that you've been on Earl Grey before as part of a crossover that we did with the Standard Orbit crew, but I think this is your first time on Earl Grey as the only guest. Is that right? I believe you are correct. I, I did. Um, I was thinking back uh, as part of the network for as many years as I've been, and I, I think that's right. I, this is the first time just being part of the show and stepping in for Amy Nelson. Well, I mean, well, that's a layup. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Oh, just right. kidding, Amy. I'll know I'll pay for that later. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to have you here. I mean, since it is your first time really as our main guest, uh, tell our listeners about your history with Star Trek. My history with Star Trek. Well, I'll try to make this fast because I am as old as Star Trek at 52. And, um, you know, I, I really got into it in the 70s, particularly with Star Trek, the motion picture. And it's still my favorite film of all time for Star Trek. Let's put it that way. And... In the 80s, I was big into the conventions, big into the TOS films, uh, watched TNG. I, I remember where I was when episode one came on. It was always a big deal, especially on uh, reserve weekends for the whole team to, to get together and watch the next episode of TNG. So I'm a big TNG fan and love Deep Space Nine. Uh, as life got busy, uh, I didn't get into Voyager and Enterprise until well after those series kind of run. Uh, thrilled to see, you know, the Kelvin Timeline movies come back and Captain Kirk and, you know, kind of fell um, back in love with Star Trek. Uh, I want to say, you know, heavily uh, 2013 or 14 when I found Trek FM and and started listening and then, you know, started contributing and started editing and then got pulled into Standard Orbit and 
my goodness, three and a half years later, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, uh, and I've been involved with that show. So that is kind of a very brief overview of uh, of my Star Trek history. But, uh, you know, it's been great working with, with you and Richard over the last few years and getting to know everybody and, and being a um, a solid part of this this great Trek family that we're, we're, we're involved in. So Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for the, the overview. That's, that's wonderful. So what we'll be talking about today is Captain Jellicoe, who I know is a character that you like, Ken. So I'll just start with you. Tell us your thoughts on his character in general. Yeah, thank you, Justin. You know, Captain Jellicoe to me was the um, that, that, that trigger in Star Trek where everybody's kind of running in a certain direction and you have all this familiarity with, with the team, the crew, and then you add an element that um, makes everybody think, work, and react differently. And Jellicoe was just that. He was a very powerful character who came in in one of the best storylines, I think, in all of TNG, to be honest with you. Uh, it was it was an amazing two-part episode, both from Captain Jellicoe's point of view, but even more so from Captain Picard's, especially when he gets captured and stuff. Just Just incredible writing all the way around. But for me... Jellicoe represents uh, what happens a lot of times when a crew that's been together w- for a long time has to learn to adjust, change, adapt to a new leader, their vision, and how they want things done. And I think the writers, whether intentional or not, did a great job of kind of highlighting what can be difficult about it, um, the maturity levels of certain crewmen, which we'll certainly get into uh, and just a, a style that's very different from the one that they had been used to and got very complacent with over many years. So I think Jellicoe is that uh, change agent that comes in and, um, you know, I, I think added, added a lot of value to Star Trek in many, many ways uh, just just from that, from that two-part episode. So I'm a big fan of Captain Jellicoe. He wasn't perfect by any means, but... I really like, I guess, more of what he did and the impact on the show than even his character. So that that's how I would start off. Okay, excellent. And uh, Richard, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the character of Captain Jellicoe in general as well. So Captain Jellicoe has been a conversation that Ken and I have been bouncing back for back and forth quite a bit. And, um, you know, we, we, we've discussed it, you know, perspective differences, obviously Army versus Navy. And, you know, it... It, it it's it's an unexpected surprise it, it, i think it was just something that they wanted to build up like a like some kind of drop like a drama par- um, portion of it and it just happened to work out for us to talk about it <laughs> like for when it deals with the military but like it's just my my opinion has changed for him it went from not liking him at all because you know obviously he's not one of the, he's not one of the characters he's not you know he's he's an antagonist to our crew that we beloved and everything to the point where he's a necessary um, uh, antagonist that actually will in a sense uh, you know make the crew a better crew because it adds an uh, unstable element into their day basically or or operations because I ultimately what space is an unknowing element in an environment that anything can happen obviously as we found out in tng and you know standard orbit or not standard orbit uh tos and all that <laughs> and all that so you know up up to this point that is it just it just adds it just throws that tool into that into the into the process where you know hey anything can happen yes it, it's it could be a good thing or a bad thing but at the same time it only it only all it does is it makes the crew better at change 
And, um, and it, 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 you know, like I said, after all these conversations, I guess Ken's been beating me into this shape (laughs) 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 of liking, uh, Jellico more and more every conversation we have. And I actually kind of like, uh, I like, uh, Jellico as, as a character in this because it, it shakes up, it shakes up the enterprise. It really does. Really does. And I think for the good, for the good. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, I'll give a few of my thoughts. I haven't had uh, Ken beating me into shape on this, but I've had kind of a similar progression where I think when I first saw it, it, it does become very jarring because you become used to Picard's style, you become used to how things function, and then all of a sudden this guy comes in kind of like a whirlwind, like we're going to change this, 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 and this, and they're really resistant to it, or like what is going on? Why, why is this happening so quickly? I mean, and we'll go into it more in the general discussion, but like over the course of rewatches, I've come to really appreciate more and more what he's doing. And I think, as you said, Ken, he isn't perfect there. I think there are some things we'll see where maybe he could have handled it a little bit better, but he's under a lot of pressure for this mission to accomplish it. And I think in the end, yeah, we'll, we'll judge how he does on that, but I've kind of come around to like the character um, a lot more than I, than I once did because it is kind of jarring at first. So, so let's get into the discussion. So, I, I mean, I think it's clear from from the episode, Jellico has quite a different command style than we've seen from Picard or even someone else like Riker or Geordi who might have been in command temporarily of the Enterprise D before. And that seems to rub a lot of the crew the wrong way. I'm just curious, like, how we would characterize this. Like, how is Jellico's style different than, say, Picard's style or what we're used to seeing on The Next Generation? Yeah, well, a couple of things here. Um, let's let's take a look at the circumstance so we understand the context of why he was taking over. You know, we're on the brink of war, and um, you have to kind of shift from a peacetime mentality to more of a command and control. And that would have had to happen even if Picard was in charge. Now, the style, you know, you get a new leader comes on board, and it's very, very common when somebody takes over a new command or even a new job, uh, and they're new to the people. Uh, you're going to be very conservative in your approach. You're going to follow the rules and regulations to a T, and you're going to enact your vision and style, especially when you have very limited time. So this was a guy who came in with that, hey, I'm in charge. This is the way I like to do things. This is my command. He was, in the beginning, I thought, you know, he called Commander Riker by his first name. He pulled him in. He He told him what he expected. And to be quite honest, uh, Riker failed him, uh, in my opinion, as his executive officer. Uh, he, he did all, Riker did more things wrong as a senior officer than Captain Jellicoe by far, and we can talk about that later. But I think his, his style was, we're in a crisis. Uh, I don't have time to win the hearts and the mind like you may have if you weren't taking over in a crisis, if it was just a normal chain of command, but you change of, yeah, exactly change of command, but you would be a little bit more patient, but you would be more conservative. If we think to how Picard was acting in the first season or two, maybe into season three, he was very different. You know, he, he grew um, to be part of the crew's family, more like a father head, but in the beginning, he was much more of a captain, um, infallible, uh, you, you know, his, his orders were followed. Jellico was just doing the same thing. We just kind of forget that that evolves. You know, you come in very tight uh, and very rule-oriented, and then you tend to back off once the crew understands what the expectations were. 
and he was just setting his expectations. I don't think he nor you know even myself watching how this was all written out expected uh, Riker and others to respond the way they did. I, I found it incredibly uh, unprofessional. And um, in comparing it back to Picard, I also thought was um, was uncharacteristic. Uh, it, there was just differences I didn't expect from these guys. But it's called situational leadership. And when you come in to lead in a certain situation, your style will change to adhere to that situation. So it's not that Jellicoe's style, <clears throat> excuse me, would have been any different than Picard's in time. It's it's the way he had to, in my opinion, come aboard and and run this operation. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting perspective. And actually, as I was thinking about it, it's funny. We've talked about Jellico. We haven't even talked about the episode he's in. It's called Chain of Command as a two-parter. And when you talk about, you know, it seems like uh, Riker and some of the crew are, are unprofessional. It, it's almost like they're resisting the chain of command, right? That someone's coming in, an admiral has said... Picard, you're on this mission. Jellico, you're in command of the Enterprise. And they're not doing everything they can to really just follow what their new commanding officer's orders are. And I wonder if part of it is maybe a little bit of, of the, the tension that you see in Star Trek because there are military objectives they have and there are exploratory objectives that they have. And it seems like a, even though they've met a lot of danger over the course of the six or so seasons up to this point, maybe it's they're more become more used to a different style that's better for exploration as opposed to we're going to be in combat soon. What do you think about that? Well, yeah. It, so let me interject something. I was yeah, just yeah. actually thinking about something. So it's kind of like with Shelby um, uh, during uh, Best of Both Worlds. You would think that something like, because I mean, obviously he sees the change in, um, we're, we're talking about Riker now. <laughs> but like, you know, you would think that, um, uh, that the interaction with Shelby and Riker in Best of Both Worlds you know, like you said, mil- have military objectives that you would, you would, he would learn from that, and then bring that forward to when, uh, when it comes to with Jellico. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I know it's, a, I know it's different. It's coming from a subordinate to, and he's, he's obviously, you know, who's in charge. But at the same time, you would think that, you know, he would have the the skills to actually cope with something like that that you know because that, that's kind of that's kind of like what Jellico is when Riker was taken over the Enterprise during Best of Both Worlds I mean it's the same it's well maybe not the same exact but when well, it they're comes a lot more to like, used to Riker exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. his leadership his leadership style has to change for the situation and in this case he's got to go back to um or, or I don't know if there was never a point in time where he was a hard ass um for the enterprise to be quite honest, except for that he was a cherry when it comes to like uh, in the beginning of, uh, you know, season one, but like, it's just, you know, Jellico being the, being, the, I mean, uh, yeah, the leader, the leader that he has to be in a situation that's going to be turning into a crisis, I guess being the flat, the crew of the flagship of the enterprise, you have to be ready for change and be able to, you know, cope with that i mean you guys are the flagship i mean you guys are considered the best with the most advanced starship in the fleet but at the same time jellico doesn't really tell them what's going on because he can't <laughs> you know what i mean like he has to be this hard ass in order to, to to change for this crisis that he knows is coming but doesn't tell Riker or any, or anyone like that which you know hmm. i guess signals trust issues right there you know maybe Riker, maybe Riker should have been briefed a little bit more uh, in depth than this. I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he has classified clearance. <laughs> I would hope so. 
Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's an interesting question because I mean, it makes me think like so. So Jellico comes in. He's like, here's here's some of the situation. We need this, this, and this, but they don't know about this other strike team that Picard's leading, and they also don't know about you know some of the other things that are going on. I wonder if it would have been. I know Jellico keeps saying that he doesn't really have much time for this, but I wonder if it would have been better to bring Riker into that a little bit and maybe he might have gotten better results from him. I, I don't know. I, what, what do you think, Ken? No, I, I think we're, um, it, it, you know, you have to trust that you're in an organization that the intentions are good and they're positive, and you need to trust your chain of command. You need to trust the Admiral, you need to trust Picard, and you need to trust Jellico. They're all there for a very specific purpose. And it's very hard, if you think about it, to take over a command and the former commanding officer still be aboard the ship. <laughs> it's not true. true. It's not easy. I know it's kind of awkward in ten forward when it's like captain, captain. It, it, it <laughs> like is. He's it with is both a little awkward because, and it's it's ironic because you know I just took over a large organization myself, and the person that had that role is still with the company, mm-hmm. and it was different for me because I could not put everything that I felt in place the way I wanted because of that. And it, it just created some timelines. So there's there's some similarities that I can definitely relate to. And we're not going to war or anything, by the way, but it was just one of those <laughs> things where, you know, uh, it, it does it does add some discomfort and it makes you look over your shoulder. What I'll say about Jellicoe, though, is that um, he doesn't care. You know, he's, he's mission-oriented. And, um, you know, whether you brought in Riker or not, I think Jellico in the very beginning, you know, he asked and then came back to Picard for kind of like, what's going on with, with Riker, right? And Picard's like, uh-huh. you know, give him time, he'll come around. And he never really did. And I thought Riker's attitude and behavior, uh, not only would have I relieved him, I would have sent him off the ship. I would have taken him completely mm. out because he is impeding our ability to accomplish a mission, whether you know what it is or not, you have to assume that if Starfleet is putting this much change in place uh, for all the right reasons that you have to trust them. You have to trust your leadership. Uh, in a crisis, you do. Uh, in any other times when it's less of you know life and death or whatever, you can debate, you can talk, you can sit in your conference meetings and have those discussions. That's, that's fine. But in a crisis, you have to let your training and your leadership take over. And, you know, Riker failed across the board. He just failed. Hmm. I'll, I'll I'll note though that uh, if if you had put Riker off the ship, you would have lost your best pilot. <laughs> and where did I mean, that I, come from? I, well, <laughs> I, I think that uh, yeah, I don't know how much it's established before that he's a really amazing pilot, but he does in Encounter at Farpoint do that docking procedure manually, so he's got some oh, yeah. skills at some kind of stuff like that. But but yeah, I, I, no I think that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting question. So let's let's talk a little bit more about some of maybe the differences and similarities because I think as I was rewatching this, like, what if it was reversed and you know the captain that we knew was Jellico and Picard was coming in and replacing him? I mean, would would there have been differences in that? I mean, it seems like from the Picard that we get to know over time, I, I think part of it's symbolized by what they say to get people to follow orders. Picard is make it so and Jellico is get it done, which is much more forceful. <laughs> so I, I, I just wonder about some of the similarities or differences. Would, how would Picard have been in this kind of situation? Huh. I'd never thought of it that way. The whole make it so and uh, get it done. Yeah. Make it so is more like a friendly request, like 
let's huh. do this and get it done is like you're gonna do it no matter what you know in a way uh well just 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 to be clear make it so is a very british style um and that is a very common nautical term so that is okay. that is not unique uh, to you know, when you say make it so or action stations to us, it's the same as execute in general quarters. Uh, mm. Just just so you understand where that where that comes from. So it is considered to be a direct order when somebody says that. He okay. is the Navy man. He would know. Yeah, well, that's good to know. But I think from the perspective of us viewing it, who might not know that tradition, sure, it seems sure. a lot more forceful, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I agree. There are, the terminologies are very done. Very, very European and very American with the make it so versus get it done. No, there's, there's no doubt. I can't say I've heard get it done too often other than, you know, somebody, you know, yelling at you to get it done. Right. <laughs> not, not, as, not as part of executing an order. In fact, usually those phrases don't occur. <laughs> you give the order and then you don't say make it so. You just give the order and it's just done. Give the order. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, <laughs> that but, would be kind of weird to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> make it so. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, Richard, I cut you off. But as you no, were saying. No, no, you're good. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, it, it, uh, it was, yeah, it was just, I don't even remember what I was going to say. <laughs> no, it, I, I was just asking about, like, let's say the situation was reversed. Like, do we see Picard handling things? in a different way in this kind of like time sensitive situation where he might be coming in to fill in on short notice. Well, we did see him uh, go from season one to uh, going from being this, you know, top notch commander who, you know, wants to get things done by the book on schedule sort of thing and, and whatnot. And then he obviously mellows out throughout the seasons, you know, mm-hmm. you know, obviously for story, but you know, typically, I mean, I would assume that someone like that would, I mean, obviously they would, I mean, they've, they've all been, they've all done, uh, you know, all these kind of stuff together and, you know, they are all these missions together and they, and he knows their capabilities. So maybe that's the reason why he relaxed, yeah. um, so to speak, um, since then. And, um, maybe, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, every, maybe the entire crew is going through PTSD from remembering Picard back in the early days. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Picard is the Borg that wanted to kill them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Two but, years but later. No, like, I, I guess what I mean is, and it's more speculation, like, let's say the situation was reversed, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's say that, uh, well, I mean, we'll leave it as like Jellicoe's in command of the Cairo and, and Picard's in command of the Enterprise. And there's some really important mission that for whatever reason, the Cairo's a special ship and Picard needs to come in and, and take over at that point. And Jellicoe's oh. needed for a special mission. Like, And we don't know anybody that's on this other crew, right? Or what they're like. I mean, do we think he could, Picard would handle that in a in a different way or would be forced to be pretty forceful and change a lot of things in the same way Jellicoe does? Yeah, in my opinion... Captain Picard has a great command presence. He's got that deep voice. Um, he speaks with authority. He's articulate. He's an imposing character, a very imposing leader when he wants to be. And in my opinion, the only way you can handle these situations is to come in and be direct. So you would see the Picard mm. we saw in season one and season two, just like you're seeing Jellico. And I think that's okay. very natural. And I will tell you from experience that with familiarity, you can get a little complacent and you can let your guard down. And as time went on, Picard definitely showed his human side or his his ability to interact with the crew a little bit better. Um, 
you know, if you think of Captain Kirk, he was always brash and he was always, um, he had, he had a strong command presence, but he related with at least his, his, his top leaders a little bit easier than Picard did. And that's what I mean. Picard had a strong, strong, strong command presence. And when you're coming on board and you're taking over in a military operation, you have to, you have to show that kind of leadership because people need to be confident in your abilities. And this is where Riker and to a degree Troy pull the rug out from under um, Jellicoe in, a, in the most unprofessional way they could possibly do it. Uh, Picard would not have been up against that, I believe, if he was taking over the Cairo, as long as there wasn't somebody who was empathic mm. on board and could read other people's <laughs> thoughts. So, yeah, I think I think um, I mean it sounds like what you're saying is the the situation to a large extent determines how Jellicoe acts, how we see him, absolutely, and that in other situations, like if we had a Star Trek Cairo series that you know followed his ship, that maybe we would see things different. And I, and I was making a note this time that. I think, as you mentioned a little bit, Ken, like when when Jellicoe first meets Riker in the transporter room, it seems like he's kind of warm toward him. He's like, hey, Will, you know, I've mm-hmm. read about this and this and looking forward to work with you. Let's do it. You know, and I think there are also other little touches like when he's, I think in the second part, he's reminiscing with Jordy about the Jovian run and, you mm-hmm. know, what it was like and that only someone who was there could know about. So I think you see some of these kind of personal touches that we don't tend to associate as much with Jellicoe. And I wonder if on his own ship you would see more of that and he would be a, maybe a bit more of, of a Picard-like figure that we would come to love, you know, and that might, and it's really the situation that, I think that's what we're saying, it's a situation that's forcing Jellicoe to be this thing that's disrupting things and, this, and to, to them and to the viewer is, is really jarring. I think you hit it right on the head. You, you you captured that perfectly, Justin. I I do believe that in time, people start to show more of themselves and they share more. But when you're in command, you have to be in command. And Picard had that ability once he got the trust of his crew. They under There's an old saying that if you come in soft, that's how they get to know you. And then when you start to harden up, you're not considered legitimate. The crew is or the team will be like, oh, it's just an act. Where hmm. if people think it takes effort for you to open up, um, but your real true core is, you know, um, leadership, trust, follow me, you know, women and men, you, I, I've got you. It's it's definitely a psychological way of, of, of approaching things, which is why he had to relieve Riker. He had to let everybody know that he was in charge and he could not be questioned openly and as aggressively as he was, it, what Riker was doing was wrong. What Troy was doing was wrong. There, there's a crisis situation. And there's an old phrase uh, in anything when you're trying to improve something or you're trying to lead something. And that is fake it till you make it, right? Uh, we've heard that before. And Jellicoe, to a great extent, he's trying to figure out this crew. He's trying to work through this crisis. He's trying to negotiate with the um, Cardassians the way that he knows how. And yet you have his crew undermining him, questioning him, and then Troy telling anybody who'd listen that, oh, no, he has doubts. He ha-, you know, all these other things that are the most personal things you could do to undermine his, his leadership. It was horrible. Is it more than just Riker that, he's, that she's telling that he's uncertain about what he's doing? I, I can't remember the scene in particular, but okay. once you tell one, you tell all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can, I, I can see that, although... Well, I guess a couple of things. It's interesting what you said, like if you come in soft and then kind of harden up, people would 
would really have trouble with that and think it's an act. Whereas if you come in kind of hard and then just kind of soften up, it can build up trust, which is what Picard does, comes mm-hmm. in kind of as this this stern character toward the beginning. But um, yeah, I think it's because I think there's a there's a couple of different points of resistance that Jellicoe gets. One is Riker, which we've talked about a lot. And I think that that the criticism is very justified because he should just be trying to execute these orders that his commanding officer is giving him. For for Troy, I think that's interesting because she does come to see Jellicoe privately and say, hey, you know, they're having a hard time adjusting to it. And Jellicoe takes that in. He's like, I'm glad you brought that to my attention. Seems like you have, you've thought about this a lot. You know, I'm putting you on the morale situation, which he seems a little taken aback by, but I think is the right Mm-hmm. idea right because it should be Riker should be executing the orders Troy should be helping with morale or support or whatever is needed in order to help with the circumstances for executing those orders and things like that and I think the other other point of of resistance is is Jordy because he's like hey <laughs> we're gonna have to work like you know 24 hours a day all the people and of course data's like it's possible <laughs> you know and i mean you can you can do it and but but i think his resistance Jordy's, is maybe a little softer because he does get all the changes done but but i think it's interesting how it affects like different parts of of the crew and you see the different points of of, of resistance maybe most of all from Riker, which is why he gets he gets relieved mm-hmm. I, I i guess one thing that i wanted to to get into as well is, I mean, we've talked about a little bit about Picard style and a good deal about, about Jellicoe's style. I just want to talk about how effective we think that Jellicoe is in, in this two-parter. I mean, I think that in the end, like if you look at the end result, he's accomplished the mission in diffusing the situation. It hasn't led to war and all of that, even though the strike team thing didn't go well. But do but like I I just wonder like do we feel like he's overall effective or are there things he could have done better than what we see? I would say I think he would I think in a crisis I think he would be a good easy he's a good leader and only because you have to hold that front um you have to hold that front and uh, especially with an adversary uh, adversary like the the Cardassians you know I mean they. They love to play those political games, and and or at least we found on in DS Nine. Obviously, um, they like to <laughs> yeah. play those political games, and supposedly Cardassian politics are far more complex than that. But regardless, you know, but they like to play these games of like you know showing uh, having a show uh, a force, and um, you know possibly even taking advantage of the of the Federation that the, who obviously they feel are weak, and. Uh, in a situation, you have to have someone like that, especially commanding the um, uh, commanding the flagship. Um, I don't know if Picard could pull something like that. Um, I uh, I mean I'm pretty. I mean I, I don't. I'm not saying that he's not a strong commander, but like um, I think Jellicoe show, uh, being that big big you know basically dog on the uh, in the playground barking um, bigger um, you know bigger and louder than anyone else. Um, actually, I think that that's a, that was something that you need to, uh, have, uh, when you go up against Cardassians, especially when you're on the brink of war. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, and when it comes to like changes, I mean, maybe telling, maybe, uh, telling Riker parts of the mission way before they had, um, uh, friction, or at least maybe something like, Hey, you know, you know, bring it to the side be like, Hey, I'm letting you know that we're, this is we're we're possibly going into combat operations. I'm getting the command ready. I can't tell you anything. You know what I mean? Like that, that's sort of like that kind of conversation. 
Um, you know, and then I, I would assume that, right. I mean, obviously that would destroy the story, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, like, but I think it would, that would be a good, that would be something that nor any other commander would do just to alleviate the friction between the XO and the commander. So I, I think Picard and Riker could have succeeded with the same mission. Uh, I, I think six days a week and twice on Sunday, they could have done it. I like the fact that they, you know, they, they, they trumped it up a little bit. It, it was, it was, it was a little difficult to believe that they needed Captain Picard, Worf and Dr. Crusher to run that mission, right? Thousand people on that ship, probably 800 on the Cairo. And they couldn't find people that could, that understood that radiation as well, right? It was. Yeah. Um, that, apparently there's few people that understood the radiation, but. Yeah. I get yeah, it. it. I'm just saying like it was. Okay, Worf it was, and Crusher. They, yeah. Yeah. They, they took, they, they took the time. Uh, I'm glad they did it. Um, you know, like I said, it wasn't, you know, you only have so much time, but it's set up, you know, part two beautifully. We could not have had a better two-parter in TNG, I think, uh, as far as really seeing the character. You know, we learn a lot more about Picard than we do Jellico. Uh, if you take the, the two parts together, we don't learn a lot about Jellico. We learn a lot about him in a short amount of time. We do learn a lot about Picard and his capacity um, to withstand and and go through, you know, some of the most, uh, I, I mean, horrific things that anyone could go through in terms of being tortured. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I get down on one knee every time I think of Patrick Stewart and his ability to, to pull that off. So I, I do believe that um, if the mission was switched around, uh, Angelico didn't need to be a part of it, that the Enterprise could have succeeded. I, I think about, you know, their mission with the Phoenix and, and, and other dealings that they've had with the Cardassians is proof that the, the crew wasn't soft. They weren't. Uh, they just were a great team and they learned how other people think and they can anticipate better, you know, as, as you saw, you know, one look. Uh, was was the same as giving an order because the crew was so familiar with each other. I just think with a new character, this was probably the only approach that would have been effective. And, you know, like I said, it showed that uh, what Picard was able to handle was far worse than what Riker was asked to do. Uh, Picard succeeded and Riker failed. Yeah, it's interesting because I've thought sometimes on a rewatch that Jellicoe is the right person for for this mission mm-hmm. and that it might be something that Picard might not be able to do because he wouldn't be able to push as much because I mean there are things in this episode like the four shift rotation and some of the changes that are being made to kind of upgrade the ship for for combat that it seems like they haven't done before even though they faced the Borg and the Cardassians and all of this so it seems in a way that he's pushing for things that they haven't pushed for before that are necessary to be as ready as possible against whatever comes up but what I would say to that if I yeah, if I may, Justin, what um, it's funny because uh, when I first deployed, I was on a four shift rotation uh, mm-hmm. with with our boat crew, and then it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't effective. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the CO made us go to a, a three. It was just how we turned over and took over the uh, the boat teams for certain amounts of time, and the crew didn't like it at all. It, really, you you can be effective. You know, shift rotation is more of the way a captain is more familiar with running the ship, whether it's a crisis or not. Um, and three shift rotations, you, you work harder, but you get a little bit more time off. And a four shift rotation, it's, it's balanced a little bit better. So I, I think this was more Jellico 
wanting this because this is the way he ran his ships more than it was for the crisis. I could be wrong. Mm. I, I don't know. Again, we don't know writer's intent. Um, but in, in you're not wrong and I'm not wrong and you're not right and I'm not right because <laughs> we'll never know. But I'm just yeah. get some perspective on this. I think, um, you know, if, if it slapped the crew so that they could be more effective, they did the right things. Uh, you know, it did shake things up. You never hear of Picard saying, okay, you know, implement the four shift rotation schedule, change this, Deanna, get out of your uniform. None of that ever <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, I don't think you hear anything about the four shift rotation. I think after this, they just go off of it back to three shift as far as we know. Right. We don't know. Yeah. 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 It, it becomes a point of contention and I think they end up implementing it in DS9, if I remember right at one point, but. Yeah, it's definitely a, a more difficult schedule to go to a three shift. But once you get used to how you um, how you work day in and day out, you know it it becomes more more easy. In fact, you don't even think about it. You just you just adjust. Uh, I think it was more of the resistance to change. It was it was just something to you know to use as a as a, as a method to to show that things were changing versus the actual scope of the change itself. Um, but you know, don't don't get me wrong. Everybody in the crew, when a new CEO comes on board and puts a lot of changes in, is griping and hates it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is, the difference is, is that the command team need to execute the CEO's orders without question. They can they can gripe to themselves. Um, they can listen to the crew gripe. But they can never say, yeah, this is, yeah, this captain's doing it this way. It's stupid. I don't like it either, but we have to do it. No, you have to stand up there like, hey, this is the right thing to do. And we need to do that from the officers to the chiefs. We have to be in unison, you know, yeah. um, behind closed doors. That's fine. But they, that's where I think, you know, talking to Jordy and all this other stuff, I was like, man, this just isn't right. It just isn't right. Well, here's something I want to push on a little bit. So, I, I mean, it, it, Riker does have this resistance and he's talking with people and all of that. But the point at which he gets relieved is when I think the second time he brings up rescuing Picard, mm -hmm. Angelico is like, that's not, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. We need to focus on this and this and this. But, you know, at the end of the episode, it ends up becoming part of his plan that oh and by the way you have an officer named captain picard and you need to to release him so mm -hmm. i don't know i i just wonder if i mean i don't know maybe jellico couldn't give him the assurance at that point that they would eventually get picard back because he didn't know how it would play out but it seemed like that was the biggest point of contention that that caused jellico to to relieve him is like you're now you're questioning my order about this and it became very personal for Riker, which mm -hmm. maybe it shouldn't right and that's normal Right. I mean, you, yeah. you, you love and respect somebody you want to make sure, but uh, a good officer, a good leader, uh, you know, uh, a good chief, a good sergeant major, you name it, knows that um, we used to have a saying, uh, combat, craft and crew. So you fight the fight. You make sure that your, your vessel, your boat, whatever it is, is in, in working order. And then you attend to the men and the women. Uh, because if you go out of order, you'll lose the battle. And that's that's true. And they, you know, with, with Riker getting all emotional about the captain, which I completely understood from a personal point of view, he lost sight of the overall mission. And, you know, things have a way of, okay, let's, let's one step at a time. Uh, you know, you just can't go badass into a Cardassian homeworld or whatever and go rescue somebody. Uh, it's, you know, these things take time to plan out and all of that. And his, his emotion, again, there's a lot of things that are not Riker-esque 
Okay, because I like Commander Riker. I like his leadership style. In fact, he was a pretty tough hombre his first two seasons, too. You know, he didn't acquiesce to to the rules about letting the captain beam down. Uh, he led with authority. You know, he would snap people back and discipline them like a good XO should. And this this whole episode was just, it's not the Riker that I knew. And I thought it was it was interesting to write him this way. I think it added a lot of great jo- uh, drama, but... You know, uh, we don't really see that um, that Riker again. You know, where he's questioning everything and so forth. He he acts more as an advisor to the captain, points out alternatives to the captain, but he never really argues with the captain. And this is something that he does with Jellico, and it's a real surprise. Hmm, I could see that. So, so one thing I'm curious about that I thought about as I was rewatching it this time is so this this chain of command two parter airs right before the DS9 premiere. I mean, in fact, that was the next mm. Star Trek episode that that aired even before the next TNG episode. And I and I was thinking about it and I was thinking about Jellico's kind of, you know, get it done a little bit more intimidating style and it made me think of of Cisco and I wonder if I don't know if this is the intention at all, but I feel almost like it's preparing you maybe for a different style that you see with with Cisco and I wonder what you guys thought about that. I could see that. Only because, uh, you know, Cisco is one of those commanders that, you know, uh, gets things done and he doesn't need to apply a lot of force to get things done. Because, I mean, obviously he's um, just the tone of, I guess the tone of his voice says it all, really. It's like, you know, hey, you know, you know, I need this, I need this done or what or whatever. And, you know, he, he reminds them. So he's, he's sort of like, you know, he's more kind of probably more along the lines of, um, of following the rule book more so than um well not, i don't want to say don't know, more that's so debatable than, well no i mean no 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 no. that's not what i mean i mean like uh, as in like versus you know doing what's right what i'm well, that's that doesn't that doesn't put quirk in the right I, I, I spot think it, either i think of it not, not as much not as much in what he's implementing but more in his style because i think especially over the course of the show he can be pretty intimidating and pretty forceful about like this is the way it's going to be <laughs> you know and, and very different than than Picard's style it feels i i guess you know? i guess well a lot of ds9 you see a lot of um uh, cisco's uh moral compass checked and rechecked several times you know what i mean like when to follow orders when not to follow orders and um and it's a it's a it's a little different than what we've seen with Picard, who does follow orders, but you don't see him getting tested on his moral compass when it comes to command very often, as Cisco. I, I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, DS9 is a lot less about exploration, a lot more about the the drama and the the conflict and all of these things that are that are happening. So I, I just wonder if, you know, it, going back to what you're saying before, Ken, about like the situation shaping how Jellico deals with these things, maybe in a similar way, like the situation of being on DS9 and all of these different tensions that happen, focusing like Cisco's command style and maybe this helping to prepare you for that in a way. Because, I mean, it was setting up DS9 in terms of the the Cardassian and, and Bajoran conflict and the occupation ending and all of that. And I just wondered if there might be something about Jellico's style that also prepares you for a different command style on DS9 also. I, I, you know, Justin, you know, I, I, as I said off mic, I think, I think you did a great job putting together this outline and you come up with questions, you know, I never really had contemplated. So whether by, by uh, whether on purpose or by accident, that's what they were 
uh, wanting to do or not, I, I think they did set it up very, very well for us to to get ready to a new style of leadership. Because, you know, although there are times when Cisco, you, you see a very human side of him, he is a very different captain at this point, right? He's captain, he's a third one uh, that, that's coming in, and he is nothing like the other two. In fact, I think he is is the best and the coolest captain of them all. I, I love Cisco. I, I just love him. And, you know, he, he has a presence about him that is, that is very unique in both... Um, you know his style and and his attributes towards leadership. I just I just think he's 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 more of the um, the badass uh, and and um, and yet his emotions can come pouring out at times. So I, I think this was a good primer um, by bringing in Angelico to show you that that Starfleet isn't just um, you know a bunch of um, you know. I guess softer, um, more collaborative leaders. Uh, there, there are some that still believe in the command and control. Uh, that is Cisco by definition for a lot of the series, not all of it, but for a lot of it. And uh, that's what we see with Jellico. That's what we saw a bit of with Picard in the beginning. Uh, Kirk, you know, had that good mix. I think of sometimes being a command and control guy. You know, like when they're going to war uh, and. Uh, and also being very collaborative. So I, I think that it was a great primer uh, to get ready for, for Cisco and his leadership style. And um, like I said, whether they planned to do it or not, it was very effective in getting us ready. So that was that was a great call out on your part. And I hadn't, I mean, I've seen the two-parter a number of times. It's the first time that I thought about that because I was I was really focusing this time on Jellicoe's style and I was thinking it most reminded me of, of Cisco. And, mm-hmm. and, and in a way, I think... You know, his style is is focused by, you know, almost kind of continuing having these different conflicts and being a whole lot less about exploring what's out there and a whole lot more about defending what you already have, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as know. they say, Deep Space Nine doesn't go anywhere, so it's tough to explore, right? Well, it <laughs> does a well, little the story, bit. The stories, yeah, it does a little, but the stories come to them. That's the but difference. the stories come to them, which yeah. I think is part of the genius of it that you Perfect. are yeah. able to go deep into all of this stuff. But yeah, I, I anyway, it's just something. That no, was great. great, great observation. Well, okay, so I, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to move on to a uh, a different topic, which is talking about the first officers that we see. We've talked quite a bit about Riker as first officer and him having to be. Uh, relieved. And I, and I think we've probably answered the question that I have here, whether Riker would have been able to adjust to Jellicoe over time. I, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe if it was a different situation and Riker could adjust to it. But what do you uh, think, Ken, about that? No, I, I think, yeah. I, th- I think if um, Jellicoe was the first CEO, uh, you know, rather than Picard, let's say at the beginning, I think it could have happened. There's a lot of things, though. I mean, you've got, at this point, what, almost six years of history, if not more, of being on the ship. Riker has been the CEO of the Enterprise. Uh, I think a lot of the thought process was, before the movies came out, the TNG movies, is that Riker would eventually be captain uh, of the Enterprise. So it's it's kind of like it's it's as much his ship as it is Picard's. And I think it's very, very difficult uh, for him to let go. And obviously, it was in this episode. If Picard, if excuse me, if Riker was going to another ship as CEO or an XO, it would have been very, very different. I just think this is this is as much Riker's territory as it is Picard's. And though Picard seemingly had no problem turning over the ship, I mean, there was very little emotion 
on his part, uh, you know, the change of command and everything, considering what they went through, it was kind of like, yeah, here's the keys, you know, run it your way. And here, here's my opinion on a few things. And I know he had to focus on his mission too. So I'm, I'm not being cavalier about it, but it, it was, you know, kind of showing to me, but that's really where I think it lies, Justin and Richard. I'm curious to see what you think, but that, that you know, Riker is as a part of the enterprise as anyone and it's it's tough for have somebody you don't know coming in and taking over quote unquote your ship yeah i mean that's that's why i think he keeps refusing taking command of another ship he feels more comfortable there and it's that he can i don't know do more or feel more importance being a first officer on the flagship than the captain of some whatever ship (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it seems like but um yeah I, i could see that but but like yeah i do i do think about it as like a what if like you know, what if uh, Picard didn't come back and Jellico was the permanent captain? Like, could Riker come back and be an effective first officer or that's just done? <laughs> I think it's done. You know? I think it's yeah, done. I was just about to say, same thing. <laughs> yeah, I think he would retire and wherever he would go, I don't know where or he would go. Or we'd probably he'd take him another yeah, ship. He'd be, yeah, he'd be reassigned. Well, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, I, I would think that, so going back to the whole um, Riker not leaving the Enterprise for, for a captain chair, a captain's chair. I just think that the way the way the way we see him in this episode, that we always see him that um, maybe he thinks that uh, no one else can protect the Enterprise like he can. Like I mean, it, obviously they're a family. You know, you don't want to break up the family and move on to somewhere else. But that's not the point of you know being in the military. You you go off to other units and make other units either better or you're a better fit for that unit or whatever. You know, it's but like I I think that the whole him, I mean, it tells a lot about him that, you know, yes, he's loyal to his friends. I mean, in friends and, well, family, you know, his Starfleet family and everything. And I just think that if, yeah, if Picard would have passed or would have been killed in that mission, yeah, he, I think he, it would, it would have been such a hard emotional um, event for him that he would just leave. He would, he, I mean, like resign his commission and be done. I mean, because because I, I mean, he's kind of like a father figure to him, and you know maybe that's because I don't know he just doesn't want to leave. He if he sees him as a father figure or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. I never looked at it that way, and could be, it could very well be. I yeah. Uh... I mean, because what else would he? Well, what 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 else would he? What would be the other reason to you know? Not, not him not able to leave. I mean, okay, let's just say he had no romantic interest. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously we know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, if he didn't have a romantic interest, and let's just say Troy never existed, sorry, Amy. <laughs> but Amy just, will not accept that. I know, universe. I know, right? I know. <laughs> I, I can hear her screaming right now. <laughs> uh, but, like, what if Troy never existed? I mean, would he have left? And, you know, been a captain mm-hmm. or would he have had the same feelings yeah well i don't know yeah i i think that uh, if you just take it to the the point in the episode that he was relieved you don't get it back um under jellico <laughs> yeah <laughs> <That's>, okay <laughs> what's, what yeah what's done is done and whether Picard survived or not, um, and, and Jellicoe, let's say Jellicoe stayed on board, that was kind of the, the interesting part of that whole episode, uh, that, that Riker would have had to have been reassigned. I, I don't see him quitting. I don't see him doing any of that. I do see him, you know, moving on in his assignment. Uh, in fact, you know, that's one thing you can't really do is quit. Um, you can resign your commission, but they don't necessarily have to accept it. Uh, I, I just think, 
uh, Riker would have been professional. Yeah, I think he would have learned from this and it would have been a great lesson to learn when you take over a ship or you go to your next assignment that you need to be more of a change agent than a resistor. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a good life lesson for him as well. As arrogant as he was when he came to to be asked to pilot the ship and uh, that, that, that shuttle, and I almost wish the writers didn't go in that direction because it would have – it made the landing too soft for Riker. Uh, but I think that um, he would have been a much better officer having gone through this experience and failed because you learn from failure. You do, and you become better from it, or you have the opportunity to. Uh, it, it only it would have improved him and probably did improve his character overall for when he took over the Titan. Yeah. So so you're saying it might have been interesting if Riker wasn't like the best pilot on, and he was just a complete failure on this whole thing and would have to learn from that. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, guys, we, we all, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I didn't have a perfect career either. I've made mistakes. Uh, you know, you make the wrong call uh, and you learn from that. And that's that's life. I mean, that is absolutely life. And I, I think that humility um, goes a lot further than bravado in my opinion. And the best leaders in the world have had things that they've had to witness or go through or messed up on. And that's how you, that's, that's how you learn to do it right. And uh, in this case, you know, I don't know if the lesson was more like, hey, I outlasted you, Jellicoe, versus, hey, <laughs> you know what, I could have handled this a hell of a lot better. And that, that was a that was a teachable moment that was lost in this episode, in my opinion. Yeah, and you don't get a follow up on that at all. No, you don't. It just goes on, you know. Picard would probably reprimand him for uh, for doing something like that. Actually, Cause, cause, I mean, once he gets back, once he gets back to command of the Enterprise, I'm like, well, hey, you didn't do this, you didn't follow orders like you were. Supposed it would have been to. interesting to see another scene where they discuss how he uh, reacted, and it'd been interesting to see what Picard thinks of because it. Because it yeah, because you don't see it at all. So would that kind of you know sets that you know it was okay because we didn't see it. You know what I mean? Like. Well, oh yeah, it's okay to be insubordinate. <laughs> so, oh. Well, just remember what what Picard was dealing with an awful lot when he came back to that ship. <laughs> so that wasn't. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. just saying, like you know, this is it, getting it, him back squared away less than Riker, right? I mean, he was yeah, he was true. really messed up, and it was very powerful. So uh, that that point of the um, the episode kind of gets lost in just the powerful, powerful. Um, events right. that happened to Picard. You know, it just got overshadowed. And that's it's okay. definitely, I mean, definitely the B plot, I mean, you know, uh, you know, not, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, the, maybe that was their intention was to create that. But I mean, it just says, you know, it's okay to be insubordinate so long as you're the XO. <laughs> well, so in addition to Riker, we also see Data replacing Riker as Jellicoe's first officer. We get to see him in Command Red. And I think... Besides the illusion that was future imperfect, that's the only time that we see that. Uh, and I think that Data has a much better working relationship. I mean, we only see a little bit, but it's pretty much he's giving advice and helping execute orders and seems, you know, perfectly fine. So it seems like, uh, you know, Data is a better first officer. I mean, for Jellico, do we think that's just because it's easy for him to just follow orders or something else? Yeah, I don't know if he. Uh, well, obviously he's a perfect fit because he tells Jellico what he wants to hear. You know, obviously the, with just the truth. Uh, you know, he never has to rest. So, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. It, I mean, he, he, obviously, it, it. You know, based on this, Jellico is. I would say he's a workaholic. That's just me. I mean, I, you know, based on based on what we've seen, I think he's a workaholic and. 
having data, like I said, you know, doesn't sleep, um, and getting, you know, tasks done and everything. Yeah, he's a great fit for, uh, for first officer, but is he, you know, like he's missing that personal piece that, uh, that, uh, you know, first officer really needs. Um, mm -hmm. but it's like more like, well, technically we could do it this way, you know, <laughs> and he could, based on people, I'm sure he can, um, I'm sure he can, uh, he has like some kind of chart in his head, uh, showing how efficiently they can work and how long it would take a normal person to do it versus him. He could add a first officer social subroutine. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, that would probably be a good idea. <laughs> but like, I mean, when it comes to work, yeah, he's a great officer. But when it comes to like personality, yeah. So you think it wouldn't have worked out in the long run? Maybe? I think in a in a pinch and in, in a uh, crunched uh, a crisis like this, yes, he would be very good. But long term, no. What do you think, Ken? No, I, I think that uh, the answer would have been yes and yes. I think he would have been a fine first officer um, for Jellicoe or for Picard, for that matter. Uh, I think he demonstrated some really great command capabilities when he took over the Sutherland. He was able to adjust to a, yeah. a crew that was, um, well, at least his first officer wasn't very accommodating, kind of <laughs> a, a shadow yeah. of what we saw in this episode, perhaps. Um you know, with mm. with uh, Data's difficulties and getting people to listen to him and his patience. And fi finally, he just had to switch to, okay, make it happen, Mr. Hobson. I'm not playing around anymore. Uh, and that's essentially what Jellicoe did with Riker. So I, I guess this did kind of come full circle. I think that he has a, um, a, a great ability uh, to... Um, and a great capacity for leadership. I, I think what what made him so good for Jellicoe was that he was, you know, emotionless, logical, and, you know, he certainly didn't protest being assigned to the first officer because he felt that Riker was being mistreated, which you can do. You can say, <laughs> I don't want the assignment. <laughs> uh, he took it right away, and I thought he did. He, I thought he did a great job, and was a was a good first officer. And I think he would have been great for Picard. I really do. I think. Uh, you know, Data is just one of those characters that I, I would have really have loved to have seen him move up anyway, just to, you know, whether it was, uh, it would have been kind of, you know, whatever he went to um, Voyager or something. It just, it just would have been kind of cool to see him in that capacity. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's interesting because I've been thinking about this a little bit because there's some novels that I've been reading as literary treks has, has gone through them, the At Time 2 novels, which take place in the year before Nemesis. And it's interesting because in those novels, you actually have Riker as he's thinking about whether to become captain of the Titan, that all of these years, he feels like he's kind of blocked data from having the opportunity to be a first officer. So I thought that that's an interesting, I mean, you don't see anything like that in the show, but it's interesting to 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 think about that as part of his decision. And I would have liked to see you know, data be first officer more than just this one chance because it's just something different than what we've seen him do before. So yeah, it's just something that always strikes me a lot because it's pretty much the only time that you you see that as as a real thing and not just an illusion. So yeah, so I think that we've had a really good discussion on a lot of different areas. I wanted to say before we got into our final thoughts, um, you know, any other topics or areas you wanted to talk about related to Jellico? For me, anyway, I, I think um, captured the essence of leadership, situational leadership. Like I said, a, a great, uh, I thought, uh, you know, and perfect timed uh, switcheroo that they did in TNG uh, to make what, like I said before, the this this two parter is is one of my favorites. I, I don't know if I absolutely have it ranked 
yet I never really thought about it. Uh, but I just just because of all that went down uh, to me, it's it's an episode I will watch often, probably more often uh, than a lot of other TNG episodes. So I, I I I loved what the writers did. I loved how they they shook things up. Uh, I like that they show that our characters can be fallible. I think that's important. Uh, like I said, I don't think they they hit home with the lesson we were trying to get out of it, but it, that's okay. Uh, Jellico to me is, uh, you know, for a person who didn't have a lot of time on TNG, he certainly put his thumbprint on it. Yeah, it's not something you forget, is it? No, no, no not at all. No. <laughs> all right, so I guess we've got gotten into final thoughts. So, uh, Richard, your final thoughts? Um, like I said before, uh, you know, Ken's been convinced me ever since, <laughs> since we started talking about this. I don't know, about a year and a half or something like that. Longer but than like, that, Richard. My God. Time goes been by. Oh, yeah. 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 For a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It has been a few. Oh, man. So, yeah. I mean, my opinion has changed uh, quite, uh, you know, quite drastically since since um, Ken and I have been starting. And, you know, I, it, you know, watching it. For the very first time, yeah, it's um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great um, I didn't think he was a great character, but actually thinking about it, you know, from my own uh, military experience and just experience in general with uh, people who've changed commands and all that kind of stuff with leaderships and jobs, yeah, I could see how um, how effective he can be, and um, uh, especially in a situation that's dire as this. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, my thoughts have changed, and I. Um, I think he's far more effective than I thought he was. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. I, I think it's been, it's been interesting going through this because my, I think opinion has been evolving for quite some time. I mean, I think as I've said, I'm more recent of a Star Trek fan. I think the first time I really saw TNG was in 2010. And I think the first time that I had seen this set of episodes, I mean, I could tell they were great, but Jellico just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because he was rubbing the people that I loved, Riker and Jordy and Troy, like the wrong way. And and I didn't appreciate it as much. But then as I've rewatched it more, I've come to really appreciate more what he's doing and how important what he's doing is for the mission. And I think over the course of this discussion, you know, I, I agree with you, Ken, that it has to do with the situation. And just about anyone else who would be an effective officer that would be in the situation might need to to go about it the same way. So I've come to appreciate it a lot more. And kind of uh, in, in that vein, uh, one thing we didn't talk about, I mean, we had a whole episode where we talked about this character, but Admiral Necheyev, I think, shows up for the first time in, in this episode. And that's also someone who rubbed me the wrong way the first time, who I've come to really appreciate as a character, and Shelby also. So there are these I think those are maybe three of the biggest examples of new characters coming in, shaking things up, <laughs> and you have to kind of adjust to it because the characters you know and love are having some difficulty with it. Angelico's kind of in that same same category. So, and this is the only time we see him on screen. You see him more in, in some novels, but uh, I think it's a character that definitely had an impact. I mean, one of the things that we didn't talk about is some of the how permanent the changes that he institutes are the four shift rotation i don't think is permanent but deanna troy being in a regular duty uniform again is something that is permanent basically for the rest <laughs> of the series and all the movies which i think is fantastic and marina Sirtis has also said that this was great and gave the ability for uh for more important and impactful stories like face of the enemy which you see a little bit later in this season so I mean, that's one thing where he definitely had like a permanent impact on on that character. And I think, of course, that was the right decision. So 
Uh, yeah, I think it's been a really interesting discussion, something we haven't talked about for an entire episode before and to really kind of go into the different aspects of, of Jellicoe's character. Um, I'll definitely be interested to see what, what listeners think and all the different viewpoints or if we've convinced anybody <laughs> to go back and, and reevaluate their opinion. But but yeah, I think it's it's been really great to talk about this today. So thank you, Ken, for inspiring us to talk about this topic because it definitely had you in mind when I was thinking about it. <laughs> I can't imagine why. But uh, um, Well, you know, I'd heard before you were a fan. <laughs> I am a fan, yeah. But, you know, for me to... Um, to be on the show and, and to uh, work with you guys uh, really for the first time uh, in this setting and being part of Earl Grey it was a real honor and a privilege. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, I will say that this this chair I'm sitting in here, Amy's chair, it's a little softer. It's a little nicer than <laughs> than the one I'm normally in. But uh, no, thank you. This is this is something that's near and dear to my heart. It's uh, it's also fun for me, guys, because I am a Star Trek fan and. You know, I um, I love being on Standard Orbit and talking about uh, all things TOS and the movies and the Kelvin timeline. But uh, to get out and spread my wings a little bit and and talk a little bit bigger on Star Trek to me is is always a thrill. And and you guys do it right every single week. So thank you for having me. It really means a lot. Oh, thanks, thanks, Ken. Yeah, and and uh, I think as I said when Haley was on, listeners, if you're not listening to Standard Orbit, you should because it's a really great show about the original series and the Kelvin timeline. So. Ken, where can people find you online? Well, they can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. I do hang around the um, the Babel Conference when I can. My schedule has been really, really crazy. So my my interactions with the listeners has really gone down the last um, nine months since I've been in this new role. But I'm hoping that we find that balance so that I can talk to people more often uh, and get more engaged. But those those are the, the two key spots. And of course, you can hear us every Monday uh, when when standard orbit drops and um, you know we'll be we'll hopefully see some some good we do have great crossover with with these two these two podcasts with a lot of the same listeners so it, it's a lot of fun but uh, again thanks for having me and Merry Christmas everybody thanks for being here Merry Christmas Ken Merry Christmas Ken <laughs> <laughs> so listeners a preview of next week's episode we'll be continuing our discussion on the weapons of TNG so last week we talked about hand weapons and next week we'll be talking about ship based weapons so excited for that Richard I most certainly am. <laughs> hey, I think that's going to be three in a row that you are actually looking forward to as opposed to a couple before. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the you're on a roll here. The pain is going away. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't need my pain, okay? <laughs> well, it's been so much fun talking with Ken Tripp about Captain Jellico, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. Earl Grey. Well, I have a question. Why is Worf late for duty? I didn't... Was that because of the particle? They weren't even there yet. It's because of puberty and, and, you know, how kids... uh, uh, Sleep extra They sleep more during puberty. I think that was the idea. Basically, biological needs. They require more energy sort of thing. Okay. All right. I didn't understand yeah. that one part. I was like, what's going on? Okay, thank you. Because I used to get yelled at all the time at that age, too. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, wake up. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. Trek. 
And how we treat our criminals is almost kind of a sign of what kind of society we are. And that's the kind of this sort of message of past tense is basically Cisco is saying that we, things have to get worse before they get better. But this mm. is a sign of what humanity used to be like. Standard orbit. I feel really awful because, like, the Omega Glory is quite possibly my least favorite episode of Star Trek ever. And I mean, Shades of Grey exists. <laughs> I really, really, really dislike it. And, and the reason that I dislike it is because it's it's a lot of, like, the stuff that I associate with the worst excesses of Roddenberry. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He, first, he says to uh, Giorgio, uh, my place is no longer here, in a very somber tone. But then the narration of him goes, I saw hope in the stars. It was stronger than fear. And I went toward it. And it's one of the greatest Star Trek lines of all times. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite uh, corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple uh, user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please, leave us a star reading and, re- and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation, the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not facing off against the Cardassians under Captain Jellicoe's command? Oh man, I don't know. That's tensions are high on the ship right now. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm not stressed out about that um, and getting all my uh, shifting or all my shifts done, uh, you guys can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the on, on the Babel conference, and I am also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not adjusting to a four-shift rotation? Sorry about that. <laughs> Man, it's been really tough. I I mean, do you think when uh, Jellico leaves and Picard comes back, we'll go back to three shifts? Because I think I like that a lot more. I, well, apparently it's more balanced. So, you know, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm not adjusting to that at a particular moment in the future under Captain Jellico, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at... TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my Season 7 rewatch of The Next Generation, and you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Mako Huter, 
and Thomas Lapel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and, of course, Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Get it done. <laughs>